Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Inquiries of Our Reality, do me a favor and drop me a review or rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, come join the Discord or Telegram groups for the show. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow me across social media to stay updated on the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe to my Patreon for just $5 a month, where you will receive early access to Inquiries of Our Reality, Big Dumb Inquiries, and Bizarre Encounters. You can also support the show by donating on Anchor or Ko-fi, which will help me upgrade equipment and hopefully eventually do this full-time so I can put out even more awesome content for you guys. If you guys want some t-shirts or other awesome merchandise for Increase of Our Reality, Big Dumb Increase, or Bizarre Encounters, stop by my Teespring store and get yourself something nice. If you're a creator or a listener, come check out Open Minds Media. We have an awesome community of great people who would love to meet you. From our featured creator podcast feed, to chat rooms, to even help questions, this is the place for you. For more information on the community, the podcast feed, and to stay updated on all the new things coming, check us out on social media, and all their links are available on our link tree. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered on the show, or you feel you can contribute to the show in any way, shape, or form, shoot me a message on social media, or feel free to email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the link tree link to be directed. Or remember, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Increase of Our Reality Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone. I appreciate all of you, and I couldn't be doing this without your support. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 65th episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today with me, I have Mike and Mateo from the WhatCast. How's it going today, guys? Doing good, Shane. Thanks for having us on. Thanks yeah, for uh, thanks for uh, making the time to come on the show, guys. Absolutely. So you always have uh, awkward spaces in the middle when you're not using cameras because you can't see the other person's lips moving. So if uh, <laughs> all the listeners wonder why there's extended pauses, that would be why. <laughs> yeah, it happens. That's one of the main reasons why we edit our shows just to pull out those gaps of nothingness while we... Like a, a discharge laugh. <laughs> I'll do that too, or there'll be like three ums in a row, and you'll just be like, all right, you still want it to sound like a person talking, so I'll pull out like two of those. <laughs> yes, we do that as well. But uh, for anybody that doesn't know who you guys are, uh, why don't you let them know about what your show, what you do, who you are? Go for it, Mike. All right, we we are the what cast. Um, we... We've been around for a bit here. I think uh, like eight years or so. I think we've been doing this. Got uh, some OG status. 
Yeah, yeah. We've been around for a bit here. Um, but we were primarily a show that discusses the uh strange and the the paranormal. Um, but we don't we we try to take a different a, a different approach than because because I mean a lot of the stuff in in the paranormal, you've got your your big cases that everybody talks about. And and you kind of as a as a podcast that talks about the weird and the shit, you kind of have to embrace some of that stuff because people people are curious about it, and the and the the big you know, the big cases are the ones that that people tend to flock to, and those are the ones that kind of get the people started, like the the uh, the gateway paranormal case, you know, like the the Area Fifty One stuff, or or I guess nowadays it would it would be like the Skinwalker Ranch, you know. Um, but so so we as as a show that that you know primarily talks about the paranormal and and weird shit um you kind of have to go after the big cases as well but we we try to take a a different approach than the regular you know the the regular uh takes on the case we we um look at all things with with a certain dose of skepticism without being debunkers um, as well as being um, uh, presenting presenting the information in, in a way that's not so flat and dull and boring, we we, we try to provide a, a bit of humor with with the topics we cover because some you know some of the shit people have heard a million times, and and if you're just going through the the same basic information who cares you've heard that a million times like especially ufo case you could turn on ancient aliens and and hear the same shit that most people cover at any given time so you know we just try to make things a little bit different and uh not take the paranormal so seriously so uh considering that you guys like to talk about some unmainstream stories i guess you could say um what's some of your favorite things that you've dug into as far as like cases that people more than likely don't know about Oh God! One of the there's so there's so many little weird things that we've come across, and it's it's the fun for me is second sourcing everything, finding the old books or newspaper articles it's written about in. But there's so many cases of like these one-time entities that are seen by people. Uh, like uh, this is one thing we covered called the sky spitter, and it was just the sighting of this giant mouth that appeared above a house. And it just started to spew out some type of liquid all over the house. And then everything, even the moisture it spit out, disappeared. Uh, there's something called the Potosi Sheep Slayer we covered. It's just this weird little three-foot spaced man that had a knife that would suck the guts out of sheep and had a mechanical jet pack and flew away and was witnessed by a farmer. That sounds like uh, his ship crashed or something, and he was just going into survival mode and trying to just kill and eat anything he could find. That's what I get out of that. Yeah, <laughs> but we like we like to cover the weird, like the weirder stuff. The weirder, the better, basically. Yeah, just there's so many. At the time when we started, there were so many paranormal podcasts that just took themselves way too seriously. You know, we don't like write jokes. We don't consider ourselves a comedy podcast by any means it's more of like a eavesdropping podcast it's just a conversation between me and mike and we just record that <laughs> basically we try to get a, a laugh out of each other basically i mean i'm always down for the organic conversations though i feel like they turn they turn out the best like don't get me wrong i like some some structured stuff when i'm trying to get into just some information but when i'm just like 
listening to a podcast and doing some stuff. Uh, I definitely prefer like the, the talk open conversation style of doing things, which is like why I was telling you guys that I've uh, been keeping up on your guys episodes. Cause I really enjoy like your process of what you do. And the fact that you uh, seem like you go into a show, not expecting it to be anything in particular. And then you end up with a more solid, awesome, organic episode at the end because of that. Yeah. Sometimes it, it works out that way. Uh, we, when we, even when we have stuff structured, we'll famously go off on, I mean, we're talking about taking out ums in our, our show earlier. There's been times where I've taken out 25 minutes of wrestling talk in the middle of a Mothman show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, uh, what exactly like got you guys into doing this? Um, was it, just some random thing that you happen to be into when you were a kid? Did you have your own experiences or? Yeah, I kind of grew up with a, a lot of, of experiences, a lot of weird shit going down things to my family's history and uh, their participation in that type of stuff. And uh, I, I, we were talking earlier, uh, I'd been on a couple other people's shows to talk about Mothman and injured cold. And they were encouraging me to start my own podcast. And that I, I said why not and i sat there and recorded for like i'd say like two hours by myself trying to present a case on mukele and bembe and after i listened to it there's maybe like 15 minutes of what i would consider usable <laughs> that wasn't just embarrassing and just not good and i tweeted uh like the day before i'm gonna i'm gonna record my first episode of of the podcast and the next day i tweeted that well that didn't work and funny enough uh mike responded what didn't work and i it we had followed each other for more than a year and had never said a word to each other and uh i told him i'd try to record a podcast and apparently i suck at it and like you just said i'll do it with you and that was that so it seems like everything seems to work out for a reason you know like everything kind of comes full circle and from hearing a lot of different podcaster stories on how they started it seems to be the same same thing for almost everybody that they weren't normally a person that would start up a podcast and then things kind of fell into the right place. And then they kind of just ran with it from there. And then it turned out into, you know, something they regularly do. And you guys being eight years under your belt, I'm sure it's kind of the same way. Yeah. Very, uh, by chance meeting. We still haven't even met each other. It's been eight years. And we haven't even met. Yeah. It's the craziest thing. Like I, I talked to him more than I talk to people that I know in real life. And, and we've, we've never met face to face. We've that, we we were talking be, before we started recording about meeting listeners and the the listener that I had mentioned earlier that we had talked about, um, Mateo actually met him as well because he traveled all around. So we've met we've both met the same person that we wouldn't have known if we hadn't done the show, but we've never met each other. Dude, it's the same for me and uh, both of my co-hosts because I do a show called Big Dumb Inquiries with Kyle Rainey from the Big Dumb Podcast. Shout out Kyle, um, and he lives in Texas, so it's like. I talk to him more than I talk to most people in my life and I've never met the dude in person. And then I do another show called uh, bizarre encounters with a guy named ghost from my third eye. Also shout out to ghost. Um, and I talk to him constantly, like text him all fucking day and he lives um, on the East coast. So yeah, never, never talked to him in person. It's kind of weird how you start up a podcast and then you end up becoming these really deep friends with people that there's a good chance that you'll never actually meet face to face. And if it wasn't for that podcast, it's like you never would have had that door open to become friends with that person, you know? 
Yeah, that's one of the coolest things about doing a podcast is actually meeting really cool people, not just like-minded people. You can disagree with them on a lot of things, but just cool people and you end up actually becoming friends, meeting or not. So I feel like it's a thing where it's like in in life, you have these like, uh, I don't know, just short, shallow type conversations. But then when you're doing like a podcast, you get into some like really, really deep stuff and some really, really deep thoughts on both sides. So it's like you get to know somebody way better because the only form of contact you have is straight vocal communication, you know? So it's like, you really get to know the inner workings of somebody like through their words and the things they say. And it's, I don't know, it's like a weird feeling that as like humans, it's still like a relatively new thing. And it's like, I feel like we don't know how to like properly process the fact that we can have a best friend that we'll never physically see. Right. Right. Super weird. But, um, I guess hopping into, uh, I know both of you guys said you've had some um, experiences going on in your life um, through the years. So I'd love to get into some of those experiences and uh, kind of dissect them and learn a little bit about them. Yeah, I, I had one that that I uh, shared on, on our show. That's kind of weird, <laughs> kind of funny a little bit, but with things that preceded that, I knew that it wasn't something that was natural. One of the first experiences I had is I was, I mean, maybe six years old. And uh, the way my bedroom was set up is that my head was next to the door. And my feet, you know, so the door is right next to the head of my bed. And uh, I, I, I got blasted with a bunch of light and it woke me up. But I says, as I sat up, I realized that my bed was now in the middle of the room. So the if somebody turned on the hallway, hallway light with my door open, it wouldn't have bothered me where my bed normally was but my bed had been moved and the light hit me directly in the face. So I sat up and looked out the door. And as I, as I looked, I, there's, I shit you not like a trail of like three colored eggs. And I saw the back half of like a really giant rabbit walk past my door. And uh, that's something I, I saw. And I told my parents about because I, I mean, my, my bed had moved and everything. I remember just laying back down and going to sleep and the bed was in its right spot in the morning, but, the, the funny thing about that story is that that wasn't one I usually shared, but uh, I mean, that's what happened when I was six. And I, it's, I would say like 20 years later, I was telling that story to my sister and uh, she said, no shit. And I said, yeah, she goes, you know, did he have a blue vest on? And I said, yes. And he was carrying this color basket. I said, yeah. She goes, yeah, he walked right past your room and went into mine. And oh. That, that kind of made me laugh when she said that. I mean, she described what it was wearing to a T. The inside of his vest was a separate color than the outside, and she even got that right. She, I mean, she saw the same thing. I mean, experiences like that just bring it, kind of bring it home, you know, because it's like you'll see something and you'll question it yourself, but as soon as there's somebody else that sees the same exact thing, it brings a whole line of questions, but it just brings confirmation to what you did see. So it's, it's always weird when you have experiences or more than one person gets to see the being or entity, whatever you want to call it. Right. It was such a silly story. It was one I never really told. There's plenty of stories I can tell about weird shit that I've experienced. And that one I always left out because it was silly until my sister, you know, confirmed that she had seen it as well. It kind of gave it a whole new validity for me. Was this relatively recently that she confirmed this? Uh, Now it's probably, you know, six years ago when she confirmed it. But that happened when I was a little, little kid and we had never talked about it. What uh, what randomly brought that up? that uh, you guys were able to finally confirm that. 
I, I think it, I was telling her about starting <laughs> the, the podcast and just recounting all the weird stuff that we all had gone through. I didn't know if it was uh, some other experience that popped up and happened. You guys were like, hey, I, I saw something like that sooner. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some of your other experiences I'd love to hear also, um, I guess, since you said that one was kind of like one of your ones you didn't tell, like if you were going to tell about your experiences, like what, what are your, what do you feel are your main experiences where they, you feel it like gives it the most justification for you yourself? Um, I would say my shadow person experience. It's not a typical shadow person experience. Uh, at the time I was living in a, a townhouse. So if you walk in the front door, there's immediate stairs immediately to your left and then a walkway into the living room. But under the stairs, there's a spot where there was a, a desk set up and a computer. And I had just gotten home from work. And I walked right to the computer. I had some stuff I had to do on the computer. And I set my backpack down. And I, w- I walked to the foot of the stairs. And I, I heard a bunch of like banging around upstairs, somebody moving something. And I thought it was my girlfriend at the time. So I called up and told her, hey, it's me. I'm home. And I went back to the computer desk and sat down and uh there's some i can hear her walking around up there and i figured she was listening music on headphones or something like that and then there's a pretty pretty loud bang a sharp bang so i went to back to the bottom of the stairs and i yelled up to see if she's okay and she didn't answer me so i went back to the computer to turn it off so i sat down at the computer desk and i I had headphones on big can headphones i was listening to death metal at the time so really loud music and uh over that music, I heard a loud rumbling from above me on the steps. And as soon as I can kind of, before I moved my head to look at the, you know, what was coming down the stairs, I kind of looked with my eyes before I moved my head. And there was a jet black figure that ran down the stairs and took the corner to come down this hallway. And it, it rushed me. And uh, I'm a, a pretty big guy. And it was able to knock me off the chair I was on. And I remember as I was turning and I looked right at its face as it got to me, I can see human eyeballs and teeth visible inside the face of this thing. And uh, as it got to me to knock me over, I heard it, it let out a giant breath. And I heard it over the music in my headphones and everything. And uh, I went upstairs and my girlfriend wasn't home at all. She was still at work. That sounds almost like a demonic entity to a certain extent. Cause uh, like, I don't know, maybe it's like a different offshoot of shadow people, but I've had a lot of uh, shadow people experiences myself, and it's uh, not a very common thing to see a face involved. If anything, it's usually like eyes. So it almost makes me wonder if there was something else to that presence or if it was like some form of like a demonic presence. But um, for the listeners that have already heard this, I'm sorry, but I'm going to I'm going to tell the story anyways. Um, I, I guess I'll go into my younger shadow person experiences later on in the show if we get into that. But this one particular faster story um i'll tell you about because it reminded me of yours a little bit um <clears throat> my girlfriend and i used to go to this place called northville psychiatric hospital and it was um just like an abandoned hospital we should just go and like urban explore it and stuff and uh we had this one time that we we don't normally go down into the basement um they call them like the tunnels um because they lead into a bunch of different directions under northville and you know they say that they're they're haunted all that kind of fun shit um it being a psychiatric hospital to begin with there's obviously some weird spirits and aura to to the place to begin with but uh we decided to go down in the basement one day and um i go into we go into the basement and there's like this wall that's like partly knocked down it's like kind of like a room on the other side of it 
So I'm the first one to walk in there because I'm with my girlfriend and her friend. Um, and as soon as I walk in there, I hear something to the right of me say run. And as I'm looking forward, there's like one of those, um, like cart buggy type looking fucking things. Like they have it like hospitals, you know, they roll in the hallway and, uh, this thing stands up and uh, I've had a lot of people say that it sounds like a, like a wrath wraith. I don't remember how I'm, which one, however you say that, but it was like pale, pasty, white skin, tall and lanky. And then when I say it had like long black hair, I mean like on the top of its head, it was very like scraggly, dirty. Um, I don't know. It almost looked like a cannibalistic looking creature. And I got to see it for a whole, like, it felt like a minute, but I'm sure it was probably like a split of a second. And uh, I took off running up the stairs. I go to leave. Um, and my girlfriend's like taking pictures backwards. And we ended up getting this one kind of weird picture that I'll send to you guys after the show. But uh, the shadow person part starts when we get home. So we get home and it's nighttime, of course. Um, we both live at that time upstairs at her parents' house. So we both come downstairs to go get a snack that night. And uh, she walks first into the kitchen. I'm standing at the bottom of the stairs. And as she takes off to the kitchen, both of our eyes make contact with this one spot on the couch um, right at the corner. It was like the, the shape of a person, like a shadow person. And you obviously couldn't make out any features. And it was just a dark enough shadow that you can't see through it. But it was dark down there. So it was like darker than the rest of the room in the shape of a person. And her just being like staring at it, doing that thing where you don't know how to react. She like walks right past it directly in front of it, staring at it the whole time. And I'm at the bottom of the stairs and we both look at each other and we look back and it's gone. We both are like, did you see that? She's like, yeah, I saw that. So kind of a combination between a shadow person thing and the two person confirmation of something. But yeah, that was probably not, I'd say like my most um, justifiable shadow person story, just because of the fact that there was two people that very clear as day saw it. Right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's always funny how it's darker than the sh the no other shadows in the room. It's you can tell that it it's shape kind of because it's darker than it's like the darkest thing in the room. Yeah, it's like you can't decipher what it is, which is a lot of people's theory is that it's like it may be something that look that looks totally different than we how we perceive it just because our eyes may not be able to perceive what it looks like like it could be an entity that has full details of features but our eyes can't perceive it so it comes out as a dark shadow and in turn it's kind of weird because it's like there must be some solidness to it because it doesn't make sense that a shadow can block out the light behind it that that clearly and thick especially when it's in an instance like that where it was a pitch black room to begin with. Like, I don't right. know, it's just weird and hard to explain unless you've seen it yourself. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Mike, you've had a shadow person experience and it was, you describe it the same way, right? I mean, I wouldn't really say that I had a shadow person experience. Um, I'd love to hear this story, by the way. So it, it wasn't a, it's more just seeing things out of the corner of my eye and, and like feeling movement along with it. Oh, like, and, the, like the wisps. If you guys ever like, like shadow people, we were just talking about it on a show recently where, um, what had happened was it was, a um, it was more like a, how, how would I describe it? Um, I guess the way that the way that I thought about it was that it was like uh, I thought it was like one of my cats, like out of the corner of my eye, I saw a dark and, and I've got two black cats 
Um, and I, I have five cats, but, but two of them are black and, and, but it's in places where my cats are not like when I'm down in my basement um, and my cats don't come down here. And all of a sudden I'll like see something out of the corner of my eye, like a cat rushing up from behind me to, to go past me. And then I'll like feel something brush across my leg and there's nothing there. So I'm going to ask this because I'm curious. I have eight cats myself. And do you believe yourself that cats are linked to the paranormal world somehow, especially black cats? Because more often than not, if I have a cat that's staring at something off in the random distance, it's usually one of my black cats or I have this. Okay. So just a quick little story. Um, Female orange cats are very rare because I guess the orange coloring is in the, um, the chromosomes. So theoretically, if you have a female orange cat, they say that they have some type of like chromosome issue. So I kind of take that as they may have some form of like a, like a down syndrome or something like that. Cause I believe that that's a chromosome issue. So I have this one cat that's an orange female and she's just like the most awkward fucking spacey cat in the entire fucking world. But uh, <laughs> other than the black cat, she's always the one that's staring in weird directions. So like, wh- what do you guys believe with the whole like tie between cats and the paranormal? I could see it, but I, I, I don't think it's necessarily limited to cats. Cause I had, when I was younger, I had a dog and my, my parents' house was haunted. Well, I, I say haunted. Um, I, I had some paranormal experiences at my parents' house. And, um, I used to, I, I got this dog and once I had the dog, she started like barking at things that weren't there and just like looking at a wall and barking. And, and once I got her, the, all the paranormal activity stopped and there was like nothing, nothing there. Like I, at this house, I full on saw like, like full body apparitions, you know, like, um, like, what did you see exactly? If you could describe them, I'm, I'm always curious what they look yeah, like. Yeah. So, um, so what, what had happened when there was once, when I saw this, this figure, um, I was sitting in a corner of, of the room in a chair. There's a, there's a recliner chair in the corner of this one room and through, through, or from this position, I could look through, um, and see the dining room which kind of connected to the room I was in. And then on the other side of the doorway where I couldn't quite see would be the entrance to the kitchen and into the kitchen uh, or from the direction of the kitchen, I saw this like white figure. And and I know it's cliche to say it's a white figure, but it, but it was, it was, well, I, I guess it would be more accurate to say pale figure. Um, but it came around the corner and it leaned against the entranceway on the corner there and and looked in from the the entranceway to the dining room into the room that I was sitting in in the chair and just kind of like leaned and and was like it looked like it was looking at me and at the time my my parents were both awake and my dad was wearing um a white sweatshirt with light gray sweatpants so i thought maybe it was him so i i called out to him and then my my dad responded and it happened he was sitting on the other side of the room and i i just didn't notice that he was there so i looked over at him and then i looked back at the figure the figure pushed itself off from the corner of the wall and it turned 
but it didn't turn in the direction towards the door. It like made a full like circular turn. So like it, it was facing me and then it turned away from me to turn all the way around. So I, so like its back would face me and then it turned. So I saw the other side and then went back through the door it came in. So then I told my dad, I think there's someone in here. He got up. We both went out, turned all the lights on. Nobody was there. The door was locked. There was nothing. And that was like the first experience I had in that house. But I I would hear like whispers a a lot. Or if I would walk in um, and everyone was asleep and I would walk in from outside, like if it was at night or whatever, um, and everyone was sleeping and I was the only one awake and I was coming in from outside, I would hear like voices in the other room. Like it would sound like a TV was on. And then I would go in there and there'd be nothing there. Um, I would hear things walking on the stairs. Sometimes lights would turn on without anybody being there. Um, just, just stuff like that. But once I got the dog, every, there, there was no more, no more things. It was weird. Did hmm. you uh, know of this, of your house having any type of like history or background to it? Uh, that house, I don't really have any background to it. Um, my parents moved there when I was five. So I, I know it was an older house. Um, I think it was built in the 1920s. Um, but uh, I, I moved out of there like almost 20 years ago now. But Was it like uh, a suburban house or like a country house or anything? Because I always feel like there's always like these stories tied to like country houses, probably just for the aspect of it being more secluded. But it's not a country house, but the, the city that I grew up in is a very weird place um any anyone who might might be uh kind of a history buff that likes weird history uh look up the oneida community they were this uh utopian society and the the city that i live in was founded um around the time that the the community split up and kind of went their their own ways but um it was this this weird um I guess you could, it's not like, I, I want to say cult, but there was, there's not really religious connotations to it. Um, it was more just like a group of people that had this commune. They, they built this huge mansion um, that still stands to this day. It's a bed and breakfast and also an apartment complex. Um, but it's this big uh, mansion that, that they built to house all the families as part of the community, but it was, uh, it was a community that didn't have possessions. So like if you were, you, you didn't even have like personal relationships, you would have, um, you know, you, you would share husbands and wives and, and the entire community would take part in raising the children. So you didn't even have your own children. It was the community's children and everyone had a hand in raising it. And, um, the, the leader, John Humphrey Noyes, had this whole thing in, in mind that he was going to create this um, perfect race of people. So he would, um, he, he had young boys, well, I, young teenage boys, not, not like, you know, super young boys, but young teenage boys he would have, um, and he would have them practice on old women who had gone through menopause, the, the pullout method so that they, uh, only the only people that were allowed to have children were if 
he gave the approval for. So what he was trying to do was have the smartest, most, most athletic, most beautiful people um, be the only ones allowed to breed. And eventually, obviously, like all these things do, it, it fell apart. And the city that I grew up in ended up kind of growing out of that community falling apart. Sounds very uh, Hitler-esque. Anytime yeah, yeah. there's any on a much smaller, I mean, there there was no uh, no murder or or talk of uh, a master race or or ethnic cleansing or anything. But uh, yeah, as far as like trying to create the best out of what you can, yeah. yeah I mean, was... I feel like there's a lot of that going on in the world. Like, uh, not to get off topic too much, but even when it comes to, uh, I know it's kind of a weird topic to talk about, but uh, like when people used to have slaves and shit like that, I guarantee you that they would specifically try to be like, all right, here's a strong person. Here's another strong person. I'm going to make these two have a kid. <laughs> and then, well, yeah, I, was, I actually just watched a video on YouTube about that today. That just popped up. It was about how they was forced breeding with uh, the slaves. Unfortunately. I mean, that would, I don't know, like, uh, it, it, I guess it's kind of expected at a certain point, especially if you feel like you own people, I guarantee you they saw it as like, this This is not me saying this. This is just me assuming the thoughts of somebody in a previous time, but they probably saw it almost like how people would look at like two dogs or two cats and like try to breed a different like species of that, you know? Yeah. Or stronger species or, you know, yeah. But kind of a, kind of, I don't know, kind of a weird thought, just a little bit off topic, but, uh, I guess to pull it back, um, what are some of uh, your guys' favorite stories that you've covered personally? I'm a big fan of the Mothman stuff, just because it bleeds into the injured cold stuff, which is a, a weird story that's kind of normally left out when the Mothman story is told. Uh, for people that don't know that story, if you'd like to get into that story, I'd uh, love to love to hear it and push it out to the listeners. Oh, yeah. Everybody's uh, pretty much familiar with the Mothman story and the sightings in uh, West Virginia, Point Pleasant. What was that, like 76, Mike? When was that? No, I think it was 69, if I remember right. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I'm I'm old now, sorry. (laughs) But there was, uh, uh, UFOs became uh, like the the main thing during that time. I mean, Mothman sightings took a backseat to how many UFO sightings were taking place. There's reports of UFOs actually buzzing houses that made them rattle the whole house shake and all that stuff, but... There was one UFO sighting that took place uh, on, on a freeway, and there was a, a dude named Woody Derenberger who was driving on this freeway. He was a traveling salesman, and he said this giant craft uh, flew ahead of him. It was He was driving late at night, so the road was almost almost empty, but it just parked on the freeway and blocked the traffic, which was only him at the time. And he said uh, a, a person came out. It looked just like a normal person. It approached him and, and talked uh, talked to him through telepathy and told him that he was his name was Indrid Cold and he was a visitor from another planet and all this weird stuff. But Woody Derenberger told his story right away and and he made a lot of appearances. He didn't really get paid for it. But what I found interesting about his case was that. Uh, just a little just, sidebar. I always appreciate when somebody goes around telling their stories and they don't get paid for it because at that point, I feel like you can believe the story more because there's not the money behind it and them just trying to get famous off the story. But sorry, not right. to distract you too much, but I just wanted to point out my personal thought on that. Yeah, 
I agree. Uh, but he ended up disappearing for about a month, a little bit over a month. And, you know, him telling a story, there's a lot of people visiting his home to do interviews and stuff like that. But uh, his his wife just said that he's with injured cold and he, he was literally missing. He couldn't be found and when he finally returned. He said, yeah, I was with injured cold. They took me to another planet and told this crazy story about this whole race of aliens that look like us. But uh, that happened like right in the middle of all that Mothman stuff. I've always wondered what Mothman is exactly because there's some extraterrestrial stuff that links to it. There's some cryptid stuff that links to it. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of, have you guys ever heard of B theory? No. So I'll probably butcher it, but I'll do it a, a quick little jump over it. I'll uh, send you guys an episode um, of mine where somebody talks about it more in depth. And for any of the listeners that haven't heard it, if they want to go back and find that episode, it's uh, the one I do with Chaz of the dead. But um, he basically talks about how there was this um, Siberian scientist that discovered how like bees and beetles are able to fly with their bodies being so big because it doesn't make sense how they can support their own weight. And he essentially discovered how to make this uh, flying machine and crudely explaining it is basically like a skid with a hand like a like a pallet for people. I guess people have different terminology for that. Um, with uh, with like a handlebar on it, and then it had these like wing-looking things on the side. And when he would fly this thing around, it would be basically like zero gravity, and um, he would like drop things off of it, and it would create these like little holes and like windows, different things like that. And um, from underneath of it, um, the descriptions of what people saw of this thing flying sound a lot like Mothman, and supposedly this guy got rid of his machine and stopped doing it because when he was using it, he realized that there was another handful of people that were doing the same thing. And he was like, all right, maybe I didn't discover something. Maybe this is something I just shouldn't be involved in. So uh, linking back, um, I guess it's like a third view on the Mothman thing is that it's potentially another person that discovered how to use this type of technology to fly. And when you do it, like, creates um i guess like gravitational rifts and different weird weird things like that and from the ground it sounds pretty familiar to like the mothman sightings and like the straight up lift that people describe with mothman also sounds a lot like how this guy's flying machine worked where yes um the technology could be the same for multiple people using it but the process of how they use the technology could be different where this guy had a skid but this person may have figured out how to make like a jetpack type thing for example and that could be like what we're perceiving as this mothman is somebody that figured out how to make like a backpacking unit that can fly like this hmm. are you talking about how like it spins yeah 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 and uh i've had somebody on my show that claims to have saw mothman and he was driving through i forgot what the fuck the name of that town was uh mothman was driving i'm just kidding I'm yeah <laughs> but he, he was driving through the town and uh he said that he was it was in the middle of the night and there was this person that was standing near a park bench and uh this guest i had on um is uh he, he, he they call him the bigfoot preacher he's he's very uh religious and uh so his natural urge was to get out and be like hey are you okay sir do you need help you know just trying to be like a good samaritan and he said that this thing turned around looked at him with bright red eyes and basically took straight up up into the sky and it was nighttime. So he like looked up trying to see it and he said he pretty much just lost it from it going essentially just straight up. 
Whoa, that's crazy. But um, yeah, I would say he might be a cool uh, guest to have. Both of those guys actually probably be cool guests to have in your shows if you guys want to uh, dig more into the Mothman thing. Um, and anybody else that wants to dig into that stuff. Um, his name's actually yeah. The, the episode will already be out when this one comes out. Um, Zach S. Forgot I forgot how to pronounce his last name. But anybody wants to look into it, that's the episode though. But yeah. uh. Mothman definitely does have an E.T. feel to him. But there's other reports of Mothman that continued on afterwards up in the modern times and even in different places like the, what was it, Mike, the Blackbird of Chernobyl? Yeah, and and also the uh, the Owl Man of Monin in, in, in England. See, I, I don't know. Do you guys dig into like uh, ancient origin stories like uh what i'm referring to is like the anunnaki origin story i i mean i i found that interesting um i don't know a, a long time ago um i i feel like it's it's now kind of just ingrained in the ancient alien stuff so i i kind of tried to avoid it for the most part these days um i definitely dug pretty deep into that probably 20 years ago or so um i got really into that shit and and like i i was to the point back then that i was like yeah aliens definitely you know i i was a big ancient aliens guy back in the day but um i feel like as i get older i kind of get more uh skeptical about a lot of that stuff and the anunnaki thing is it's still interesting to me but the whole premise behind it is based on the uh translations of of pretty much one dude that being zechariah sentient Sechen. and uh i i i yeah you have other people that examine the same things that he's translating and saying that it's telling a different story than what he's relating so then you can dig into the conspiracy is is there a cover-up to to hide ancient myths and and the reality of the reality of human origins or is this just one guy who fucked up in a translation and got something out of it that isn't really there i mean if if it's in there the only thing that i was going to question is uh they talk about how anunnaki mixed their dna with different species trying to create a slave race according to um i guess the origin stories from that but uh considering a lot of these cryptids seem to have like human-like structure, but mixed with other animals. One thing that I've always liked to question is not necessarily Anunnaki, but if there was um, like a race that came here that mixed their DNA with different animals, trying to create some kind of other race, um, maybe that human-like features that we're thinking of, like you know, standing upright, arms, legs, um, isn't actually a human-like feature. Maybe it's uh, from somewhere else. And Ooh. they theoretically like mix their DNA with a wolf and created like a dog man, mix their DNA with some type of primate, created the Bigfoots, create mix their DNA with different types of birds and created these mothmen and owl men and uh mixed their DNA with whatever the fuck we are and created us. And uh, I mean there's a lot of theories going back to like um like Hinduism and stuff where they talk about these like people that came from pigs. And considering that our skin is very similar to like pig skin and shit like that, um, like maybe we were theoretically at one point um, could have came from like pigs and maybe 
Bigfoots or what came from apes, you know, just, just an out there theory that I kind of throw around in my head a little bit, but what, what's, uh, what's your guys' opinion on that? I like to think of Bigfoot more as like this interdimensional thing. And to me, I I've got, so I I've talked about this plenty of times on our show. Um, but I I've got this theory that kind of brings everything together. Um, and, and really this, this theory kind of developed when I started researching the, um, the Skinwalker Ranch like 10 years ago. And the reason being, and, and I know at this point, a lot of people, um, are, are very familiar with the Skinwalker Ranch because it's a, a show on, on, um, history channel now. So it's kind of become like a cliche thing, but, but 10 years ago, it wasn't talked about very much. Um, at least outside of like paranormal circles, I should say it, it wasn't something that the mainstream people were, were aware of. Um, but on the Skinwalker Ranch, you've got all this phenomena occurring. You've got UFO sightings. You've got poltergeist activity. You've got cryptid sightings and, and all this stuff comes together. And, and when you look at, um, some of the stranger Bigfoot cases in the woods. And uh, you, you get a lot of uh, phantom knocks that occur that are attributed to Bigfoot. You've got rock throwing that's attributed to Bigfoot. You've got strange growls or, or uh, hoots and noises. Now, because you're in the woods, you're, you're thinking that's, you know, that, that that's a, a separate sort of thing but but if you look at weird poltergeist activity at at like a homestead and you've got strange growling noises you've got phantom knocking in some cases some poltergeist cases you've got rocks raining down on the house or or even in some cases raining down inside the house and so it makes me start thinking when you start looking at things in, in, in the paranormal field and, and you don't compartmentalize them and saying, oh, this is an alien thing or, oh, this is a ghost thing or this is a, a weird unknown animal that we, we have yet to discover and start looking at the, the similarities between a lot of these cases, even, even events where there's um, a lot of U, UFO activity like uh, the, the Hudson Light UFO or the, the Hudson Valley UFO flap in New York that occurred. Uh, a lot of the, the people at the time that this, the UFO sightings were taking place were experiencing weird lights just appearing in their house or outside of their house. They were experiencing um, poltergeist-like activity inside their homes. They were hearing phantom knocks. So it, you see this stuff repeating, but the way like it, it seems like the main um whatever the main sighting is is what's focused on so depending on what's going on it's it's either a ghost or it's aliens or it's bigfoot but they're all displaying these same characteristics so it, it seems like all this stuff might be related in in the fact that um it's part of our reality that we're just not really aware of it's not something 
Um, it, it's not like when you walk outside and you breathe air and see sunshine. And that's, you know, that's, that's the reality of our world. We live in a world where we can breathe oxygen and, and feel warmth from the sun. But it's, it's like just a half step over almost where it, where it kind of overlaps with our world. And I think when it actually comes into contact with our world is when we have these events that take place. And I think in some areas of the world, um, we've got areas where the contact takes place much more often and whether it's deliberately done by whatever these entities are on the other side or whether it's by chance and it's being exploited and, and um, these intelligences or beings or whatever they are, are able to come through. I think that's when we start having the paranormal activity. Um, You know, I don't necessarily think ghosts are, dead people just like i don't think ufos are necessarily aliens from another planet and i don't think bigfoot is an undiscovered species of hominid i think all this shit's related and we're just trying to we because they seem different at a certain level we're kind of ignoring the similarities and and putting them into these different categories i mean i always like to imagine it as there's certain areas where there's like a a thinning of the veil so to speak um, even like paranormal stuff, um, or like, like I'm, I feel like if there's any type of like stories that I seem to be the most skeptical about, um, but not for like a bad reason, just because I want to like try to rationalize it as much in my head to try to get to the, to the base of it. Cause if you just go into something saying it's ghosts, you're never really going to get to the bottom of it, you know, but the one I'm the most like skeptical about is ghosts, but not for the aspect of like them not existing, but them not existing how we imagine that they exist like somebody dies their spirit gets trapped here and then they walk around forever um i like to view it from a couple different angles one is that if there's a traumatic enough experience that happens in one spot it sends like a ripple through time um where it's not that those ghosts can see you like say there was like a bloody battle for example or like a murder in a house and then you see the the apparitions like acting it out in a sense and not really paying attention to you um, I've always wondered if that's more of like a, something traumatic so bad happened there that it just resonates through time where it's not that there's like a conscious spirit there, but you can just, it's kind of like a, like watching a movie of something that's already happened. If time isn't necessarily linear. Right. Um, that's uh, have you heard of the stone tape theory? Uh, I've never heard that, that wording, but if you want to explain it, I'm, I'm sure it's maybe a theory that I have heard of before. It's basically like a, like for like the best way to phrase it is like time loops maybe that are caused by traumatic events that replay themselves in a specific area yeah 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 because the other part of that too that i was going to connect into too is that um i've heard stories about where somebody when they were like 10 they're sitting on the couch and they saw something coming down the stairs and they freaked out and ran and then 10 years later they're coming down the stairs and they see something on the couch and it takes off And then that also kind of makes me wonder if it's like a thinning of the veil with time not necessarily being linear because that person could have theoretically saw themselves at two separate times, didn't know how to perceive themselves, thought it was a ghost, but it was never really a ghost. It was them at two separate times in the same location. Right. Because I've heard like a good, good handful of stories about things like that. And then the other theory that I like to entertain as far as like paranormal things go um, is that again, it goes back to it being a thinning of the veil, but it could be another dimension on the other side where 
you're seeing them as a ghost, but they're seeing you as a ghost. And they're obviously you and the other thing are totally different consciousnesses from different dimensions, realities, whatever you want to call it. And you're both perceiving each other as ghosts because there's like a, like a thin spot where you can see through, partly see through the veil and, you know, the image doesn't fully make it back. So it looks like a ghostly apparition, you know? Right. Yeah, there's a, wasn't there a story from the Skinwalker Ranch stuff, Mike, where there a portal opened up? Yeah, there's a lot of stories about the the different portals opening up. Um, the original family, the the Sherman family that lived there, um, would report this orange light that would appear in the sky, and a, a at different times they would see craft come out of it. Um, at one time, they said that they saw what looked like a blue sky on the other side, even though it was the middle of the night. But it was the way that it appeared in the sky it was almost like two-dimensional like they they could see it from a certain vantage point but if they moved it would just take on the appearance of like an orange line so see, it, it, it like wasn't fully three-dimensional it's weird see that area in particular skinwalker ranch i've always wondered if it's uh something almost like the alaskan triangle or like the bermuda triangle where it's like a weird concentrated area where there's a thinning there but maybe yeah. it's like super concentrated and that's why there's so many sightings there and skinwalkers could be literally something coming from another re reality and coming into this reality, or maybe they accidentally walk through and then when they're over here and then they see somebody, they're like, Oh shit, what do we do? And they do whatever their species does, which may be chameleon themselves into something else, you know, where we look at that, like it's some kind of superpower, but that just might be, like normal to whatever that thing is from that other reality. Right. An ability that species has. And then, uh, I mean, those go back to like native American legend and shit like that too. So like the other weird part about it where you can kind of get into like the whole idea of like manifestation is that, uh, like the native Americans had legend about like pretty much if you talk about it, they'd show. So there's not a lot written down about skinwalkers because they didn't want to even talk about them because they would show up when they do. Um, so again, it goes into like, is that manifesting them or is it almost like, um, I, I don't, I, I hate using the term simulation theory because people think of like a computer, like a program, but like an organic simulation where maybe that's like what's on the outside, you know what I mean? And there's like certain spots where like the, the, I don't want to say programming glitches, but I guess that's probably the best terminology I have for it. Like an organic program glitch or like a spot that doesn't work out properly. And then that's where like whatever's on the outside or maybe something from another simulated area comes into this area. Hmm. Sorry, I get weird with the, uh, with the theories, especially when we start getting uh, farther into the show. I'll just start throwing some weird stuff at you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, with the, uh, with that with the theory, like the, the simulation theory, the, the fact that the idea that we're in a matrix or, you know, and however you, you label that, that specific theory. Um, I think if that were the reality we live in, it would make a lot of sense for the weirdness that goes on. And, you know, I, it would be super easy to explain away a lot of that shit. Oh, it's, it's not weird. It's just the way the matrix was programmed. It's, it's just what we're experiencing while we're, we're part of the matrix or whatever. It's a glitch. <laughs> yeah, it's a glitch. That's, that's not a UFO. That's a glitch. 
but um i i don't know to me the the matrix theory um it doesn't you can drive yourself insane really thinking about it and and the only way you can kind of talk yourself out of it is saying well i feel you know i can feel i'm aware of my feelings and i'm aware of how this makes me feel and and i'm aware of how this is and and you can look at yourself and be like well i know that i'm not a simulation because i experience all this stuff but then you can drive yourself crazy by thinking well they're they're not a simulation because they feel too but then what if that's just part of your simulation what if you're the only thing in the simulation that can feel that so you can really get yourself in a crazy place the deeper you go with that. But I, I just, to me, I've always wondered too, not to cut you off, but like yeah. if there's like a handful of people that may be actually interacting people, and interacting. you don't even know who they are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be, that'd be, uh, that'd be wild. And just, there's just enough people sprinkled around so that there's genuine human connection and emotion while everybody else is just a fucking computer program. Yeah, like they're trying to almost like harvest how you operate, you know, like whoever the powers that be may be. But in order to do that, you have to have real people, but spread far enough apart that they don't interact with each other, but they interact with whatever you want to call it, the AI NPCs, the things that are collecting information on how to theoretically be a person. Some way through, through through the matrix. Yeah, that's that's a scary thought. I don't know. The, the, the whole matrix thing if you think too hard about it and if you really like i i could definitely see someone with a uh, uh, specific brain chemistry just going far off a deep end and and like really getting uh getting crazy with the matrix theory dude because honestly though you can back it up with a lot of stuff but it's like again mm. one of those things that you'll never know until you're on the other side but even just like the patterns of things, like, right? It's just or the the way that our reality is is structured. You know, like we're we all buy into this this charade of of money. You know, and and we got rid of the gold standard back in seventy three. So, what the hell value does our money have other than what we all agree it has? Dude, same with anything in reality. Like even yeah, people that have power, you only have the power that you give them. <laughs> it's, it's it's all a fucking fairy tale and an illusion so like in that regard i could see yeah it because because when you look at it we're all kind of like in this weird well i shouldn't say all of us some of us are fortunate enough that they were been able to get out of the nine to five grind but most of us are in this nine to five grind where we spend most of our waking hours away from the place that we pay money to live in Away from the people that you're making the money to support, too. Exactly, exactly. And then we we you know acquire more items that we don't have time to to enjoy because we're too busy working to afford those. But and and it's something that we've all as as a as a world as as a civilization we've all agreed that this is what makes the most sense. Even though we all hate it, and it Even doesn't every feel single right. person fucking hates it. Every single fucking person hates that nine to five grind. Anyone who's a part of it. And we all agree to keep it going. And, and, you know, people, people make the argument, well, what's, what's a better way. And that's not for me to figure out, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not president of the universe. I can't, I can't make laws on, on how society should be, but it's, we all know 
everybody knows that there's a better way, but nobody is able to to find that better way because we're all stuck in this fucking grind. And we, we got to bring it back to us. Uh, small community and living off the land. That's what I think it is. Yeah, Cause absolutely. I have a lot of theories too about um, like what, what's the number one pictures you see that people decorate their house with. I, I think I'd be a wrong person to ask about that. I've got a very <laughs> weird sense of decor. Well, usually I feel like most people, they decorate with pictures of outside the woods, things like that. So it's like, it's satisfying. They don't realize it, but it's consciously satisfying a primal urge that you want to be there. You don't want to be here, but because of pop culture, movies, all that shit, it makes you scared of the woods. Like the city is safe. The woods are scary, even though you have a lot more of a chance of dying in the city than you wouldn't in the woods. As far as I'm concerned, and at least in the woods, you can defend yourself or you can't defend yourself against a crackhead with a gun unless you have a fucking gun. Mm-hmm. But uh, like we have this poll where we're pulling away from like the natural way that we're intended to be. And we can all feel that pull. And we all subconsciously are trying to pull back, but we don't realize it. And now we're like, Oh, how do we live? How we could be happy. And it's like, why don't you just look at yourself on the inside subconsciously and realize that you want a connection with people locally. You feel good when you buy food from people that you see the person that grew the food you, uh, you want like they're most most people their most peaceful times are when they're in the middle of the woods so it's like you already know the answer subconsciously you'll just we need to bring it back you know what i mean yeah people are too scared i i agree though i i i think when we as a race or as a as a civilization or whatever as a society when we decided to separate ourselves from nature, that's when when things devolved for us. And and you, I mean, people can't even do things for themselves anymore. Yeah, like the and, average and, person doesn't know how to hunt. They don't know how to fish. They don't know how to start a fire without a fucking lighter and right. gas or something. You know. Yeah, yeah. And and we we look at us as being civilized. We're we're a civilized species now, but. Um, we're just to caught me, up relying on everybody else to do everything for us because we can't do it our, ourselves anymore. Yeah, well, and not only that, it's it's we've become complacent in our technology with with the technology we have. Like we have access, you know, in the in the in our the palm of our hands, we have access to infinite knowledge. But what do most people do with with that? Five second dance videos, of course. Yeah. <laughs> can go on go on tiktok or facebook or or you know play a game like most people don't utilize the internet in 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 the way that that i think it was first conceived of because of you could course, learn something new every single day every and single still day. not run out of things to Never. learn about but instead people are watching the same dance 300 times right just different people doing it it's yep. like oh let's let's see how this person does dance Oh, that's a good one. All right, let's see how this person. Does. Yeah, that's a good one. But it, it's we we were civilized, but I think by civilizing us, it, it takes away what our what what the meaning of life really is, and like what you're you're really limiting yourself on what you are able to achieve by by fitting yourself within the the uh, the idea of civilization. You know, go, go out and, and go into the woods, learn how to grow things that you can live off of. That's, that's the important shit. The, the imaginary money that we make is bullshit. 
And, and really when it comes down to it, like we're all comfortable in our homes and everything, but if, if you learn how to live off the land and you learn how to, to build shelter and provide your own warmth and, and uh, preserve your own food and grow your own food and, and hunt your own food and, and provide for yourself. I think that's where you're going to find the, the biggest in, enjoyment in your life. And I think that's where you're going to get the most out of reality. I think we're, we're kind of tied down to this idea of civilization and working and making money and acquiring things, but who's really happy. Like you get, you get something and it's cool and you're like, Oh, this is a cool thing. But on a day-to-day basis, does that thing make you happy beyond really that initial obtaining of that thing? Speaking of that, on another messed up level too, it's like what matters the most to most people is their kids. And like realistically, you work eight hours at a job that you don't want to be at to go home and see your kids for like four to six hours before they go to bed. So technically, whoever watches your kids during the day sees your kids more than you get to see your kids. Right. And they're like the whole premise of like why, I mean, coming from a parent, I'm sure not everybody feels the same way, but like they're what keep me going. And yet they're like the people I see, I feel that I see the least. And that's not even because of me. That's just by design of how society's set up. Yeah. It's not the best design. Cause it's like, especially nowadays, man, it's like the, the teachers are the ones raising the kids more so than the parents. And with the whole, I don't know if you guys dig into like the whole wokeism agenda in school and shit, but it's like, uh, they're trying to like pull the kids away from their families where they're even to the point now where they're like, um, I was hearing some news thing today where some kid was talking to his mom about how the school pretty much said, if you get bullied, things like that, you're not supposed to go home and tell your parents because it'll piss off the parents and they'll come home and they'll come back to the school and be all pissed off. And, uh, you know, going into, I don't know how you guys feel about the whole trans thing. So I try not to bring it up unless I know how somebody feels about it. But um, just even the fact of like, they're pushing the whole trans agenda on kids and then they're telling their kids, don't tell your parents about it. Like, that's weird, man. Like literally it's like somebody else is raising your kids while you're just trying to support your kids. Yeah. And, and we always, I, I remember growing up, I, not to date myself or anything, but I, I grew up in the, in the eighties. So I was very familiar with the satanic panic thing. And, and a big part of that, because the, it, for any any of you young kids out there, uh, the the uh, the satanic panic was this thing that happened during the eighties where um, there was this whole conspiracy that that schools and and um, that there were a lot of these schools that were part of satanic cults that were trying to uh, molest and potentially sacrifice children to Satan. Um, and that got, that kind of got involved with Dungeons and Dragons. And if you play Dungeons and Dragons, you worship the devil and you'll probably kill yourself and your friends at some point while you're playing and all, and all that shit. Um, but growing up in that time, you, you learn about stranger danger and, and I know they teach kids about stranger danger now, but it was, it was always like, if, if, a, if an adult tells you not to tell your parents something, then it typically means what they're telling you is wrong. You should immediately tell your parents. If right. Tell you that's, not to tell your parents. <laughs> when another adult tells you not to tell your parents, that's the thing you should be telling your parents about. So the fact that that teachers are are telling kids, and, and I don't know how how often this takes place. If you're going to teach kids something, just be upfront about it. You know, 
be open about it, allow parents to, to be in on the discussion so that parents are aware of what their kids are learning and they have the opportunity to talk to their kids as well. And, and I think that's the biggest thing is having a dialogue between the school and the parents to make sure that um, that they're able to have, to, I think that you don't want to confuse the kids. So you want to have that open dialogue so that you don't, um, you're not confusing kids with mixed messaging and, and everyone is. They almost feel like they have to live a secret life. If you imprint that into them, you know, like right. their parents can be totally okay with whatever they're fucking trying to do. Um, I don't want to go into trans aspect of it, but just anything in general, you know, like they could, a parent can be totally okay with like, if a kid wants to, um, you know, play this sport instead of that sport. But the way that the school system's set up, it's like, we'll switch you over, but don't tell your parents. You know what I mean? Like, but you never like you're just going to teach these kids to live a life of hiding things from the people that care about them the most, thinking that those people that care about them the most won't understand it. When realistically, if you want somebody to understand it, what you got to do is have an actual conversation with them about it instead of trying to hide it from them. Yeah, exactly. When you start making it like sketchy, that's that's when you got to wonder what the fuck is going on. Why are you being sketchy? Well, then it almost becomes taboo at that point. Too. Right, right. Yeah. And and that that's what makes it taboo, really, is when you when you keep the secrets and you don't, you know, you, you're not open with what's going on, that then it becomes taboo and it becomes this this dirty little secret. And then, you know, that that creates a whole whole other thing. But I, I, I like to think that that's not going to be something that's widespread. Um, as far as I know, that's not something that has been discussed in, in my kids' school, but uh, my kids are a little older now. They're, they're you know, teenagers. So maybe, maybe they, uh, they got past that early indoctrination before it became a thing. I, I don't know. Or maybe it's already indoctrinated into it. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> keeping secrets from me. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know what's going on in the school. Because uh, surprisingly, like I'm a millennial and uh, my generation is, I don't want to, like I hate using the word progressive because there, it sounds like it's this huge positive thing, but like most people in my generation are progressive and that's not the way I am because I don't see it as progressive to, I don't know, like without getting too deep into the whole like opinions on things. Um, I don't know. I just don't think a lot of the things that people are looking at as good things that are progressive are right. And that's, that's, that's it. And if you don't agree with that, then society looks at you like you're a piece of shit, you know, like, I don't know. It's kind of weird, kind of a weird back and forth that it's like, you can have an opinion, but you can't have an opinion about certain things because it's progressive and it's what we should be doing. But it's like, half the shit that's progressive that we quote should be doing isn't something we should be doing. Like just even the fact that there's a term for minor attracted adults or whatever the fuck that they call themselves, minor attracted persons, like that's a progressive concept, but like get the fuck out of here with that. Like, why is it that we're trying to normalize pedophilia? And if you're into like the whole satanic aspect of things, um, you could look at, like, I'm not saying this is like necessarily my belief on it, but just looking at it from this perspective, um, the whole trans movement is, like I said, I'm not, I'm not like, uh, this isn't necessarily my full views on it, but like coming from somebody that believes in 
<clears throat> um, like the Bible, things like that. Um, it could be looked at as trying to destroy the image of God and create this like half breed species, I guess you could say. Um, like I said, not really my view on it. My view on it is just that it's just not morally right because your gender isn't something you should get to pick. It's just something that you're biologically born with. Um, but yeah, just I'm kind of going in circles on this one, but that, that's kind of my views on it. But I don't know what, what were you guys saying with all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just I, for me, most of the time we don't we stay up any away from anything political or it's just I don't know. I kind of we try to keep the our show as a spot where people don't have to hear about that type of stuff because it's everywhere. It, to me, it's just uh, I, I don't know. People are reacting like uh like this thing has just like grown, like sprouted up out of nowhere. <laughs> I, I like I'm a big student of history and all forms of fucking people have always existed. It's, it, it, every type of person's always been there. So people just, it's, it, it's a, a level of pettiness on most people. You know, just, I don't know. I don't know why people are so interested in, uh, what's supposed to be like one of the most private things about somebody's you know life and, and their person it's, it's people are just it's a real entitled thing today like uh, one thing that bothers me is like most like virtue signaling it's people aren't just happy with believing in something and practicing that they have they have to scream it out so they get a pat on the back for it it's just everything's set up for <laughs> every type of conflict you can wish for <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because today i was laughing at the fact that i was driving down the street with my girlfriend and there's this one street that we don't normally drive down we're driving down the street and these are handmade signs of course so obviously these people probably knew each other coordinated with each other to do this but i saw somebody that had like a hand-painted ukraine flag i had somebody that had a hand-painted um black lives matter thing in their yard and then there was somebody else that had something about um pretty much like uh like pro wearing masks and i'm just like okay well if you didn't know these were good people they had to make it obvious by putting a sign in the middle of their front yard because if you didn't know their views they wanted you to know them right that's that's the curse of social media it tricked everybody into thinking that people give a shit about what you think <laughs> literally nobody fucking cares nobody fucking cares man <laughs> And it's just another way for people to club up, I guess. I don't know. But I mean, that's kind of how you create power, though, is that you have to divide people into groups. Right. And, uh, I mean, I noticed this because uh, there's this lady that's running in Michigan. Her name's Tudor Dixon. And uh, she her whole like ad thing is pretty much like I'm pro guns and I'm anti wokeism in school. And with hearing that, I was like, damn, bro. Us uh, conspiracy, whatever you want to call it, open-minded type people just became a demographic to the country. Like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> yeah, I'm, we were talking. The funny about thing it. is, we won't vote for that person because we're spiritual-minded and we're like, all right, this person's got some other agenda here. That's why they're trying to do this. <laughs> so, like, they're fucking themselves by trying to uh, come into this demographic because it doesn't work because we question everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, we got pretty sidetracked on that one. Um, I guess to try to put a little cherry back on the top of the end, uh, I didn't get, let's see, I got one of your guys' favorite stories that you covered, but I didn't get the other person's favorite stories that you covered. So let's uh, touch into that a little bit. Okay. So I've got a bunch of, I, my favorite traditionally, I guess, was was the Skinwalker Ranch and, and Mothman. 
um, just because of the amounts of weirdness that happened in both cases. Um, and with the Mothman, it, it spawned a lot of shit after the Mothman sightings even took place. There was, there was more shit that went on. And, and it's just such this weird amalgamation of different things that happened, um, which is why I also like the Skinwalker Ranch. But there, there's other ranches that I found, found out about recently. And I don't know what the deal is with ranches, but they seem to have, there's these other ranches that have a, a similar sort of thing going on to Skinwalker Ranch. And we covered one recently um, called the Stardust Ranch, which is very similar, except in this one, the dude actually had alien entities appearing on his ranch and uh claims to have been able to kill them with a katana sword which i fucking love by the did, way did he describe these entities were they like yeah, skinwalker like or they were they were they looked like grays why do i just imagine some dude um <laughs> like he's the only one that sees them and there's just this guy swinging around a katana in the middle of the woods <laughs> well I, I guess him and his wife both witnessed it um they had been abducted a few times and he uh it started out he he beat one with a baseball bat when he he woke up and it was at the foot of his bed straight sign style yeah yeah so he just grabs <laughs> his baseball bat starts swinging and then it phased out after he made the first contact with it but he did hit it so then he said when he would see them um they would always kind of appear like not in the same room as him but like where he could see them they it was almost like this cat and mouse game they would play like they were trying to stand far enough back that he couldn't make contact with them like right on right what he was but, trying but to do they were observing him at the same time so he would if he caught them in his periphery he would start to kind of make a uh act like he didn't see them go about his own business act normal and then try to sneak up on them with his fucking katana sword. <laughs> so he said like one time there was one, he was in the living room and it was peeking around the corner and he saw it out of the corner of his eye, but he didn't react to it. Didn't, you know, make any sort of notice that he, that he saw it. And, uh, he got up, got a glass of water, brought it back into the living room, sat down. It was still there. So then he got to gets up, walks to his bedroom. Like nothing's going on, goes out, grabs his katana sword sets it in the hallway out of the line of sight where the, he saw this thing and he just waits till he sees it again then he gets up and walks grabs his sword so it can't see it walks around and then fucking decapitated the thing <laughs> dude then, i dig the katana and it makes sense too because yeah. it's like a bait a baseball bat is blunt contact so it's like it's not right. gonna hit it on the first kill but if you slice something with a katana yeah like, it doesn't have that time to be able to be like oh shit and like yeah right out, right you know? Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. I love it. And uh, he he said he kept the body for a while, um, not knowing what to do with it. And then... Um, so I'm guessing it, it like, it phases itself out when it's hit. But if you, like, kill it, it can't phase itself out. So it's yeah, solid he, mass in front of you, right? Yeah, it's not like a He, he said hologram. you have to kill it before it phases out. Because if you, if, if you make contact with it, it's going to phase out. So he said, "You got it. You got to go for a fatal blow." So that's why with this this one, he he decapitated it. But he claimed that he's killed a bunch of them uh, on his time in the ranch. His his story is fucking wild, man. It's it's a lot like the Skinwalker Ranch, but more bad shit. Um, I don't know if I really buy into it, but I fucking love the story. It's it's fantastic. And uh, the dude wrote a book about it about his own experiences. So it's. Uh, Do you know what the book's called offhand? Yeah, it's just called Stardust Ranch. 
Oh, start a trans. Yes. So if, if uh, it, it's really just him, like talking about his experiences on the ranch, but, uh, but I feel like because he's writing about his experience, um, he's not writing the story, um, you know, about the experiences. It's more a story of him as the hero surrounded by these experiences. So I think you're, you're kind of getting, um, it turns into like a fish tail. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely embellished. Um, I don't want to say that the dude is not telling the truth, but I'm going to say that I don't fully buy his story. I mean, still interesting all the same. Yeah, yeah, and as absolutely. far as like the, uh, the ranches go, I feel like it's not so much just like the ranches. It may be the fact that uh, maybe I don't want to say ancient people, but people a couple hundred years ago, maybe um, knew that there was specific locations that there was phenomenon that happened. And as time went on, it got lost in time. And of course, like our basis for all the big cities are where these people were choosing to colonize hundreds of years, like a couple hundred years ago. Um, and the more rural areas are people, places they obviously chose not to. So that being said, a lot of these ranches are the first property that's built on these locations that we, you know, know of in record, not including if there was like Native American um civilizations on these places um so maybe maybe that's more so what it is it's just the fact that it's a uncharted land that there was already phenomenon happening on and a ranch is just happens to be what you build in these wide open areas yeah that's definitely the case with skinwalker because that um the whole area around skinwalker has a history um of i i guess paranormal activity but um going back to when when the natives were more prominent in the area when before the uh the Europeans came over and and started kicking everybody out um they a, a lot of it has um has to do with with this curse of the skinwalker like apparently that is where it all started um when a skinwalker cursed the land and I don't know what that curse entailed, whether it was like uh, they they summoned something or thin the veil between realities. I, I don't know exactly what, what went on there, but it's claimed that the whole area is in the path of the skinwalker, meaning that the, the skinwalker walks through that area and wherever the skinwalker goes, um, bad things happen. Uh, and then this ranch sprung up in the middle of this area. And, uh, I don't like, I, I also wonder if animals have something to do with it. Um, like, like with the skinwalker ranch, they had, it was a cattle ranch and, and the cattle seemed to be targeted during that time. But with uh, stardust ranch, the owner, the, the guy who ended up buying it, he, uh, he raised Rottweilers and was breeding Rottweilers and, his dogs ended up being targeted during, during this whole thing. So I wonder if, if like having a, a large group of animals living with humans in a remote area that already has thin veils, like if that kind of prompts it more, or if, if the animals are just the unfortunate victims when shit goes down, I don't know. I mean, it might just be more like a food source possibility because, uh, 
like going into like the Native American legends of skinwalkers, it's not that they're like their own species. It's somebody that um, committed an awful act, which from like what I've gathered, one of the things that you would do to become a skinwalker, of course, is like eat human flesh. And then one of the other main things you'd have to do is kill a close family member, meaning like a brother, a sister, a mother, a father. Um, so maybe that's part of the curse is just the fact that it's like uh, that forbidden fruit that you're not supposed to eat your own species. So maybe that was like ground one of like where there was uh, some type of like an awful winter or something, for example, and they resorted to cannibalism and they started taking on these other characteristics because of cannibalism. So then the other Native Americans started telling stories about how that's cursed land because it's like a cannibalistic land, you know, and uh, I'm sure that even if you're not into the whole woo-woo concept of it, maybe eating human flesh will take a toll on your body. And cause it's not something that your body, you're, I'm sure your body biologically knows it's something you're not supposed to be eating on top of that. So you might start to contort and become different because of it. And, um, I mean, if you're going into like woo-woo type stuff, um, like maybe it completely reforms you into something else completely. Yeah. Like the, the Wendigo type deal. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, like from my understanding of them, um, it's kind of like the same premise on like how you become one. But um, as far as like where they're seen at, the Wendigos are supposed to be seen normally during like winter, cold areas, cold months. And uh, what people like to rationalize with that is the fact that they are pretty much like decaying corpses. So they have to stay in cold places. Otherwise, they'll rot and fall apart faster because one of the main things you're supposed to be able to use to kill a Wendigo is fire, which would make sense because, again, it's like burning the flesh. And then people have theories about how you don't really see Wendigo sightings during summer or things like that because they could theoretically just disappear back to wherever the fuck they come from. Or maybe it's possible that they like bury themselves to be able to be able to be in the heat until the following year. I think it has more to do with the area where the the legends spawn, um, which seem to be mostly northern U.S., southern Canada. Um, and the whole thing has to do with eating human flesh, which during the summer you wouldn't need to because you'd have access to you know, growing crops or animals that are around. But when the winter occurs everything's dead you don't have you can't eat plants animals are hard to come by because they're hibernating or they're also in survival mode um so then you have to resort to what's available which is other people and so i think that's why the the connotation with the winter and everything comes in because that's that's the only time of the year when you'd really need to eat another person because you'd have access to nothing else I mean, it's also possible, too, that it could have been stories made up to push people away from cannibalism because, you know, when you're in a cabin, there's nobody around and you're starving and there's other people like if there's nobody around to be like, hey, that's bad. People are just going to do what they have to do to survive. But if they create these legends that you'll turn into these different creatures because of it, then people are going to think about it more when they're just alone by themselves and they're like, Oh, I'd rather die than become one of those creatures. Right. And, and then yeah, that being said, maybe um, it's possible that what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a totem or like a, they're, they're like just, a yeah. Yeah. Like, a, like it was created because 
we all manifested it to cre be created. Yeah, I, I like almost like a like a tulpa type effect. That's the word I was looking for, tulpa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think that is also a, a very real possibility. You know, you get enough people. It, it's the same type of deal as like a religion sort of thing. Like you get enough people buying into a belief, uh, that belief becomes reality. And I mean, if it's a newer belief too, it probably won't be as in tune and fine grain where if it's something that's been manifested for generations, 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 it could eventually become not like a more solid creature, if that makes sense. Like where it takes on a life of its own because of so many generations creating it and manifesting it versus like if it's like a newer thing, um, like anybody that's thinking about it is manifesting it to become what it's going to become. But if it's something that's been around for generations, it's takes on its own life and becomes its own thing aside from people creating it, if that makes sense. Right. It actually starts to exist. Yeah, exactly. So, cause yeah, it's not like it, it, even if people don't believe in it anymore, like it still was already present enough and prevalent enough that it exists in its own way. Right. But um, I guess since we're starting to get towards the end of the show, I usually like to do yeah, about an hour and a half or so. I feel like that's like the, the sweet spot and we're about hitting that. Um, I definitely want to have you guys come back on the show. But before I get you, before you guys get going, um, I like to do words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So I guess going one by one, uh, if there's anything that you'd like to bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Oh, as far as doing a podcast, uh, just always remember to do it for yourself and, you know, keep the level of quality that makes you happy and don't worry about anything else. That's for good words to go by even besides a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Apply that to everything. I, you know, just do it to the level that you're happy with. There's no reason to reach for other people's standards or levels. Yeah. Do you in your own time and what's supposed to happen will happen. Right. Then, uh, the, how about you, man? I, I would, I would say, you know, in, in terms of, uh, because we, we, we talked about weird shit a lot on here. Um, I, I would say in terms of, of researching and getting involved in, in, um, the paranormal or, or ufology or whatever you want to call it, cryptology or cryptozoa, whatever the fuck they call Bigfoot people. Um, cryptozoologist cryptozoologist yes thank you I, sh I should fucking know that I'm sorry I, my, it's anyway. a, one of those things that slips your it, yeah, it's like yeah. you know it but it slips your mind when you're on yeah, the spot I'm like, so. no cryptology <laughs> that's not what it's called that's what cryptocurrency oh no yeah, that's cryptocurrency <laughs> yeah that's that's what it is when dealing with cryptocurrency no <laughs> when dealing with any of that stuff I, I think um, to keep both an open and skeptic mind is very important um, remaining skeptical in the face of the fantastic will, will help keep you grounded. Um, but keeping an open mind will also allow some of that magic to come through. And, and I think somewhere in between the skeptical and, and overly open mind is, is where the truth lies. And I, and I think, you know, when, when we look into a lot of this stuff, it's, it's easy to get lost in there and, and, um, just kind of become like like a either a, a hard nosed skeptic where every you you have to debunk everything 
or like the the wide-eyed believer where everything is real. And I think it's re- really easy to fall into one of those two camps depending on um, where your personal opinions lie and, and also the, the research that you're doing and the slant that the research takes. Um, but I, you know, I, I feel like ultimately we live in a world where, where wonderful and weird things happen. And I think it's part of the natural order of the world. Um, and we just, we just don't really have a reliable way to, um, I guess, I guess, relate to it. Um, so we're, we kind of try to do the best we can and, and, uh, explain it in ways that make sense to us, which was why you get a bunch of people experiencing similar things that are saying it's different causes. Um, so I guess long winded way of saying stay open-minded, but skeptical. Yeah. You got to find the balance. That's what it is. Just like most things in life. Because uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer, like you said, that the truth's in the middle. So like when I do research, for example, um, say I have three cases with one thing that's similar between them and then the other things are all different. The thing that I'm going to keep my eye on the most is the thing that's similar between those three things. Same with like anything, man. You look up like an elixir to, or, you know, I don't want to say elixir, but you look up like a, like something like a something you can make at home to like help with like a sore throat, you know? And you find three different recipes, but there's three common ingredients in those. And then all the rest is different. The thing that I'm going to take as truth and that what I'm going to look at as the most important information is going to be that thing that's similar between all stories and the other stuff I'll, of course, listen to. But that's not going to be like my main focus of the information, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get that completely. To me, the the big interest comes from the... Um the similarities in cases, not so much the differences. Yeah. Cause that's where you start finding the truth is when you start being able yep. to connect the similarities. Yeah. yeah. We don't, we don't cover Bigfoot a lot, you know, just for the sake of it being done to death. Basically we can't do a better job than what's already out there. But to me, you know, the idea of a giant ape like creature running around the woods is awesome. The, the fact that it's seen by so many different people all over our country is even more awesome but what makes it really fucking cool is that it's seen on every fucking landmass on this planet and it has throughout history. That's that's what makes it cool. You want to do some crazy diving into uh Bigfoot. Have you guys dug into like Yowie um legends? Yeah, I've read a lot of of, of like all the different, you know, abominable snowmen, Bigfoot, Yowie, wild men, all that stuff. Cuz I was going to say I feel like the stuff from Australia, it dates back farther than most Bigfoot legends and they have the most like prevalent where if you look at encounter stories people finding footprints all that kind of shit it seems like the most frequent place that it happens seems to be Australia and uh like I don't know when it comes to like Bigfoot that's the information that I follow into the most is the Australian stuff about them just because of the fact that I feel like it's the oldest information that we do have on those so I feel like the oldest information is probably more than likely the source. So if like we date back um, Bigfoots to Australia before anywhere else, maybe that's like the origin of where they possibly came from and then they spread out from there, you know? And then just like people, they adapted to the environment that they live in. So like mm-hmm. the Yeti started developing white fur to hide itself. 
and, you know, thicker fur, I'm sure, to stay in the cold, just like, you know, people where you got, like, white people that develop beards and shit like that to stay warm because we're intended to be in colder regions. Mm-hmm. But just just a probability. I, I, I like to, you know, expand into things and, uh, I don't know, just try to find... I feel like the when you start digging into anything, you want to go back to the farthest point that you can possibly find and then work forward from there. Yeah. Especially on cryptids and stuff because it's like, I feel like the most solid information is more than likely the, like, tribal or aboriginal or whatever the ancient people's views are on them. And then all the modern stuff kind of brings in the science twist. But just like he was kind of saying, you got to find the balance in the middle because the ancient people will talk about them from like a magic perspective. The modern day people look at them from a scientific perspective, but the truth of that is in the middle. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess since we're at the end of the show here, um, for anybody that enjoyed the conversation and they want to come find you guys, uh, where'd they come find you guys at? Oh, we got the whatcast.com and uh, we got social media is all the whatcast. You can just look up the whatcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts or, or on Instagram, uh, Facebook, not anymore. They shut down podcasts on there. They gave us some weird notice to where they, they closed down our page because they're removing podcasts from there. But yeah, we're pretty easy to get a hold of, try to get back to everybody. Well, I appreciate you guys making the time to come on the show, and I had a lot of fun in this conversation. Yeah, thank you, Shane, for having us on. I'm a fan of your show as well, and it's awesome to get to sit down and talk with you. I appreciate that, man. Thank you for having us. And uh, I definitely have to have you guys pop onto my other show. And uh, if you guys are down, I'll definitely be more than happy to have you guys come back on this show, and we can get into some more awesome conversation now that I've gotten a feel for you guys. Now we can uh, bounce into the theories and open conversation style a bit more. Yeah, anytime. So um, for anybody that enjoyed the show, um, thank you for listening and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.